Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist. And I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist. How are you this Monday afternoon, Laura? I'm great. We're here at our new time. Day and time, yes. Oh, day and time. And we both remembered it. (laughs) I know, after all day of me going, Oh, Oh, yeah, come on, yeah. Sorry, I were out for lunch, and I had I thought about it earlier, and then at about noon is when I got my first little <gasps> real jolt of, oh, no, what time is it? How can I make it? So, anyway, that was three hours ago. I think I'm safe. Okay, you're good. We made it. We made it. So this is our new day and time, and I think it's going to be great, and I don't think it will really change much of anything for lots of our regular listeners because they listen when they're driving to work or at another time when they're exercising or whatever. So hopefully it's not going to disrupt uh, the listening schedule for too many people and I, uh, because I do think people listen from one of their um, eye devices, an iPod, their iPhone, their iWhatever, and then um, do it at a, another part of their routine. So hopefully this didn't disrupt anyone. And well, and maybe we'll get some moms who can call in because their kids are still napping. Yeah, that, that would be good. That would be good. That would be good. Okay, I'm going to start. I used to do this all the time, really say the date so that anyone listening that's listening a year from now, two years from now, you know, people tell me a lot of times that they find our show and they'll go back and start it. They're like me. They have to start at the very beginning and then move forward. So, I'm going to try to remember to do the date because sometimes someone will email me and say, "You, I listen to a show and I have no idea what they're talking about." And I think that they, don't, they might think about it being in the archives, but not necessarily be thinking about how when the show was first recorded. So today is September 10th, 2012, and this is show number 165. But I have misnumbered the shows so many different times. It's probably show. Gosh, 180, 190, 200, who knows? I'll, when I go back and look through the archives, I'll, see that I'll have three weeks of the same show number, and they're completely different shows, so sorry about that. Mistakes happen. Are you there? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> You're just letting me blab on here. Okay, fall conference schedule, I'm going to go ahead and give that out because that's coming up. Atlanta, I'll be uh, there September 27th and 28th. Columbus, Ohio, October 11th and 12th. And then Chicago, October 25th and 26th. I'd love, love, love for any of our regular podcast listeners to come and to introduce themselves to me. I always get a real um, charge out of that when I meet somebody who's a podcast listener. So I want to encourage you that if you have not registered for those dates and you're in or near those cities, please do. You can get registration information on my website at teachmetotalk.com. All right, let's pick up with where we left off last time. We are doing a series on vocabulary development, and this series started on uh, the podcast on August 27th. We were off last week. And so let's review a little bit why we're doing the show, this series for the show 
and what my rationale was because it and you know, I have to stay with me here while I talk about this. I have gotten a lot of questions lately about questions with children and saying, When are they gonna answer questions? Why won't she answer my question? She's talking but she doesn't seem to know how to answer any questions. And so my intent was to talk about vocabulary development in that context. But because I've already alluded to this, I have that kind of personality that I have to sort of start at the beginning when I talk about something. And the, the so I decided that we should do this show on vocabulary development because so many times when a parent or a therapist will ask a child a question and you don't get a response, it's because the child doesn't really understand the question or they don't have the vocabulary to be able to answer that question yet. So we're talking about how to build really strong vocabulary so that you give a child enough foundation and enough of a word bank to pull from so that he or she is able to answer your question. And let me just say one more thing about questions. Rarely are you going to hear a word, a particular word, for the very first time from a kid in response to one of your questions. It does not happen that way. Usually when a child, especially a child who's been a late talker, uses a word, most of the time for new talkers it's in imitation of when you've labeled or when you've described or commented in some way about something that you two are doing together. And so usually you're going to hear new words in imitation first, and then the child will begin to use the word spontaneously, and then, then and only then, <laughs> Will you hear a child be able to use that word in response to a question? And so I, I don't know if I said that on the last show. I meant to because that's the way to kind of introduce why we backed all the way up to the very beginning to talk about vocabulary development because teaching a child to imitate and teaching a child what these words really, really mean come well before you'll ever get a child to use a new word in response to a question. It just doesn't happen very often. Is that your experience too, Kate? Yes. Yeah, Definitely. and sometimes, yeah, you'll get a kid who might answer, you might hear a word, like if you have a child who's super great at labeling, like they really love all their picture books and their flashcards and their leapfrog toys and those kinds of things, and all they really do with their words are label, occasionally from that kind of kid, you might hear a word for the first time when you ask, what's that? But in most of the time, especially with late talkers, you're not going to hear a word for the very first time in, when you're asking a question like, what's that? Or when you're asking another question that the new word would be target response from. So I want to be sure to point that out to parents who may not have thought about that before. If you've never, ever heard your child say the word, he's surely not going to do it for the first time in question. So let's, let's just kind of get that out there and talk about that. All right. So last time on August 27th, on the show preceding this one where we started this series, we talked about the kinds of words that we first hear in new vocabularies. And we started talking about social words and exclamatory words are the very first kinds of words that we will hear a child attempt to say before he's ever really officially, quote, unquote, talking yet. 
the next kinds of words that you hear are nouns and new vocabularies or vocabularies of new talkers, regardless of whether they talk on time or whether they talk late, are usually comprised mostly of nouns. If you think back to English class, nouns means uh, nouns are names for people, for places, and for things or objects. And so when we look at a new talker's vocabulary, even if he has, say, 20 words, most of the time a big majority of those words would be nouns. So they're really, really important. And so we're going to talk about the earliest nouns that we see or hear in a young Unless, child's vocabulary. Unless, of course, it's a therapy kid, and then that's not necessarily true, huh? <laughs> yeah, because we work on... <laughs> Everything, and especially those requesting kinds of words, and we're going to get to that a little later in the show, but we're okay. using, <laughs> right now I want us to talk about the study that we mentioned at the very end of our last show. It's a 2011 study from Bryn Mawr, uh, that college, and they looked at uh, the, the name of the article or the name of the study um, was, or their lead here, were the 25 words that every toddler should be using by age two. And again, because we talk, work with children that are in early intervention most of the time, that's why we've gotten the referral for them in early intervention is because the child is not talking and is over two. That's a pretty common scenario. So certainly if you're a therapist and you're a parent of a late talker listening and your child doesn't have a 25-word vocabulary yet, I want you to listen up because these are the words that uh, the researchers found were most commonly present in vocabularies of typically developing toddlers. And again, of this 25 words, 17 are actually nouns. So I'm going to give these to you now. And in case you're not the kind of person who takes notes or you were running on the treadmill or driving in your car, please do not feel like you have to stop and get this list down because you can get uh, the list in a couple of different places. First of all, it's on my website at teachmetotalk.com, and it's in an article called What Can I Do to Help My Toddler Learn More Words? And if you are on Facebook and have liked teachmetotalk.com, um, my page on there, you can look at the, the post about today's podcast, and I've linked the article uh, from the Facebook page, and so you can get the, the list there, but I'm just going to run through it, and I'd, let's just talk about the nouns first that are on there, and Kate, I bet you've looked okay. at this, and I bet you've you've seen some children today, so you've probably said these words and worked on these words today. <laughs> I'm sure I did. Okay, yes. so let's just run through this list. Baby, and you okay. speak up if you don't agree with that one of these words. I, I think they're all pretty darn good and, and close to what okay. we work on. But here we go. Baby, ball, banana. I say nana for banana, don't you? I do too, always. Yeah, it's so much easier to say. Bat, uh, book, car, cat, cookie, daddy, Dog, I, hat, and I meaning your E-Y-E on your face, not I. The mm-hmm. Hat, hot, oh, hot's not a noun, sorry. Uh, hat, juice, milk, mommy, nose, I say cheer. mama. Oh, me too, yeah. 
<laughs> but those are the twenty or those are the seventeen. Those are good. 25. I yeah, can't I, think of I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say I can't really think of anything else. Yeah, I think well, those are really what? Maybe a few, but yeah, they're they're really good. Those are pretty much the go to standards that <laughs> Yeah, and I think those I words are um very uh functional as we would say in a toddler's daily routine. Those are all words that a child would have an opportunity to say and hear over and over and over. Those are the kinds of words that um no matter what your particular culture or ethnicity, if I'm saying that correctly, would be uh, those would be words that would be present across. I, I just can't think of a situation where those would not be highly applicable words. So I think that's a really good list. To use. In case you're wondering, the other words that make up that 25 were all gone. And by all gone, so I use that kind of as a verb. Um, sometimes we think of it more as a request, like a requesting word. Like, and I'm thinking the opposite of more. <laughs> and so, don't you have kids, Kate, and more is on this list when you're getting them to request more, and they're finished with that activity. They say or sign all gone or all done. So I kind of think about that as the opposite concept for new talkers for more. So all mm-hmm. gone, bye-bye, more, no, and yes. And I'll just tell you right off the bat, a lot of new talkers are not going to say yes, and that may not be in the top, in the first 25 words that you hear with um, late talkers or new talkers. What do you think about that one, too? I would agree. Maybe not yes. A lot of times, you know, they do yeah or they do K. I have mm-hmm. a little look today. That was his. Every once in a while he'd do okay, but mostly it was K. Yeah, <laughs> some form, some form of right. a something. Yeah, is yeah. probably the most common. And so many parents don't like that, and I always think, hey, it's a yes, you know. It's <laughs> we'll take it. It's an affirmative yeah. response. Yeah. Mhm. Beats yeah. the and no version. So. Yeah. <laughs> and those kinds of words we talked about last time, and I think about those as social words, and you need those responding words so that you can. Get across your point when mom's asking you, you know, you want milk, you want juice, you want water. And so yes and no are um, great words. And typically developing toddlers, I do think those come in pretty early. But for late talkers, a lot of times, they're not even responding to yes-no questions um, accurately for a while. And that is something that we have to help a lot of kids um, learn. First, they have to understand that concept. And then uh, they'll begin to do that. Now, we're not going to talk about how to teach yes and no today, but we will talk about that when we get to the point where we're really talking about responding to questions, which is the whole point of this little series, uh, because there are some tricks that you can use to teach yes and no. And, again, a lot of children with developmental delays really struggle with that. And if you've, as a therapist, if you've just parented typically developing children, it's a surprise the first time or even maybe after you've worked with the kids for a while because you just naturally think a child really understands that and is able to um, use those concepts, yes versus no, pretty early. 
but in my experience with, with a lot of our kids with language delays, it takes some work for some of those kids to really understand it. And you agree with that too, don't you, Kate? Yes, I do. Um, there are some, some, you know, the kids that I always kind of get a charge out of and especially enjoy working with are the ones who do, even if they're minimally verbal, verbal they can respond yes and no, even if it's just with shaking their head or uh, right. grunting or whatever, but they do, you can almost carry on a conversation with those kids, you know, because they are responding. Right. It's just not necessarily right. using too many words. Mm-hmm. Right. But most of the, the kids, kids that, we see, that's not the issue. Right, right. They've got receptive mm-hmm. language issues too. And so if you have a child who's mm-hmm. not really understanding yes, no, that's a pretty red, a pretty big red flag that receptive language or how they're understanding is also a problem. It's not just the talking. It's how they're understanding language, how they're comprehending, how they're processing what's been said to them. So, again, I think it's a pretty big marker, and a lot of parents might miss that. And I I hope as a therapist that a therapist wouldn't miss that. Actually, accurately answering yes-no questions is on the test or the, you know, developmental assessments that we administer, and it's pretty late on those tests. It's not until 30 months that a child accurately understands and answers those questions, but really it's not for questions related to uh, what's going on right in front of them, like their daily need or their want, like you want milk or juice. It's really referring to a question like, is this a car? Is that your mom? Is, you know, is it whatever, you know, some other later developing form rather than that true um, do you need it, yes or no kind of question because Uh that comes in earlier. But it's not on my test any earlier than in that later context. Does that make sense? Is it on your test earlier? I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure. I think it might be actually younger, Laura, but I don't know for sure. I'll have to check. Yeah. And the reason I'm saying that, if you're a new listener to the show, I'm a speech-language pathologist and look at only communication. Kate is a developmental interventionist, and so she looks at all five developmental domains. And because of that difference, she uses a different kind of test when she's determining if a child is eligible for services or how how much progress they've made. You know, every discipline, you know, not that I can't use her test or that she can't use my test, but generally each discipline or each kind of therapist would use um, their own test. And among the professions, you might have some overlap, but more often than not, it's pretty, um, they're different tests that we would administer. So when I'm saying, Kate, on your test, I'm not really referring to the test that Kate developed. I'm talking about the test that she would use (laughs) as a developmental interventionist versus the test that I would use. Why don't we talk about that for just a second? What are some tests that developmental interventionists use, Kate? What, What do you use and what are some other ones? I use the Hawaii Early Learning Profile, have for a long time. Um, What are some of the other ones? Um, 
There's the Carolina um, yeah. curriculum. There's the APES. What does APES stand for? Boy, I should have really been a little. I didn't oh, really find the top of I don't A-E-P-S. know. I don't know. If you anybody wants to know, Google AEPS and you'll get it. Yeah. Um, yes, know. that's another one. Were you gonna try? Right, so I, I guess nobody really uses the Battelle. I think other I think people in Kentucky and in other states do use the Battelle, the Battelle Developmental Inventory, the BDI, or mm-hmm. what some people refer to that as. Um, Denver has an er, it's the Denver Early Start model. We saw a family this summer that they use that a lot, and I guess that's because they live in Colorado. So, and I've had other therapists refer to that test. There are lots of different um, lots of different tests, and usually. When you're looking at all five developmental domains like that, it's usually a developmental interventionist or whatever they call that in your state program. You might call them uh, special instructors. You might call them developmental therapists. You might call them early interventionists, whatever your state would call the profession that specializes in that general educational piece. And so they usually use a test that covers all five developmental domains, uh, motor, cognitive, communication, social, and self-help or adaptive skills. Speech pathologists typically use tests that just cover communication. The test I like the best for uh, toddlers in birth to three programs is uh, the Rosetti Infant Toddler Language Scale. Other tests that you might see are the preschool language scale, and the latest edition is five, so it's called the PLS-5 that you'll see, the fifth edition, um, therapists using that. And again, the SELF is another, C-E-L-F, is another uh, widely used test for very young children to measure language. You get the Peabody picture vocabulary test. I see that occasionally um, still. It's an older test. But any number of tests, most of the time you're looking at the same skills on the test, and there will be some variability as to what age range a child might um, acquire a test. And so that's why I will say to Kate, what is it on your test? <laughs> because <laughs> her, the age range on her, the test she uses might be a little different. So that's some background, especially for our newer listeners, and especially for parents who might not have understood that that's, what we're talking what about. What you were asking on my test, yeah. Well, okay, the only time I could find it named on the HELP Hawaii Early Learning Profile was the expressive portion on the um, language portion, and it says uh, says no meaningfully, to, and then tells you what they mean, and they mean to protest or refuse, and that's 13 to 15 months. Yeah, and so that's much, much earlier than mm-hmm. the by 30 months, 27 to 30 months that's on the Rosetti, my test, the test that I use most often, but again, it's in a different context. It's meaning um, with a question like we talked about before, like you asking a child, uh, pointing to his shirt and saying, um, is that your sock? And he would say no, because he would understand that you are pointing to his shirt uh, rather than a sock, or you know, you might hold up a truck and say, is this a truck? And he should say yes. And so, again, sometimes I think people are confused by 
first of all, that those really are higher-level yes-no questions, and secondly, exactly what an examiner or a therapist would mean when they ask that question on test. So I wanted to clarify that. And, again, that's not the point of today's show. Well, once again, I have <laughs> diverged from the topic. So we'll talk about that in a few weeks when we really get to questions. But in typical development, children use yes and no, uh, Bryn Mawr says, in their first 25 words. And again, that would usually be, do you want this, whatever, yes or no, and the child would answer that. All right, so. Yeah, do you want to go outside? Yeah. <laughs> you want no. to go to bed? Take it. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that uh-uh. would be the I would definitely yeah. take uh-uh, too. <laughs> Me too. Uh-uh and uh-huh. Those are whatever the intent is is what you need to go with there. And I, for a new talker, you know, any variation, any kind of sound substitution or if you know what they mean, you need to give them credit for that word, regardless of if they're using a slang form like uh-huh and uh-uh or whether they're saying dog for dog or um, even if, you know, bath for bath. Who cares? At this point, we're not going to be really, really picky about the sense that they use, whether they leave off sounds, and speech pathologists refer to that, um, that would be omission error, or whether they're substituting. I gave the example of gog for dog, you know, doing G-O-G. The kid might just say gog for dog. You know, the G is substituted for the D, and then they're leaving that last G off. You know, so again, if you know what the child means, you need to go ahead and give a child credit for that because we're really talking about language and um, his communicative intent and what he's trying to say versus speech, which, which would be his articulation or getting all the sounds in the right places. So let's not be overly critical and let's really, really reinforce the child's attempt to communicate at the beginning and not overcorrect or not give him credit for what he's trying to say because we really want to reinforce the, that communication piece lost before we think about how a child sounds. So I wanted to uh, put that in there as well. The other nouns or other kinds of words that I have listed, um, the list that I use is always from Dr. Rossetti's test. And, again, I've mentioned this already. It's the Rossetti Infant Toddler Language Scale. It's the most widely used tool for measuring a child's language skills between birth and three years old. And this is the list that he uses from his research, and it's published in his manual. And, again, if you want to take a look at that list, it's, it has, um, it's a longer list of nouns. You can do that from teachmetotalk.com's Facebook page or the website in that article I mentioned before, what can I do to help my toddler learn more words. And there's some other words on there. Um, let me just read through this. And, Kate, I think this is where we would pick up some of those other words that you and I teach and use and talk about that maybe weren't on that first list. And, again, it's longer. So ball, book, block, cup. And, again, I think about any variation of cup, what a child might still be doing, bottle. And I probably would say baba rather than bottle. Mm-hmm. And, again, I can see some therapists cringing as I say that, (laughs) 
but that's how a child says it, and I'm not going to really push for bottle for that more adult form, even if I'm saying it. If he's trying to say baba, I probably even would model baba if I think that that's what he would be more likely to say. So, again, I, as birth to three therapists, we're not going to get overly picky about that. A child might say drink, and, again, not mean the verb here, but call every um, thing he wants in his cup a drink, you know, gee or duh or whatever his his uh, variation of that word would be. Choo-choo or train, that's a big one. I think in nearly all of my little clients, especially the little boys, choo-choo is probably going to make that list of first 25 words. <laughs> Don't you think that's a popular one? Well, honestly, I never modeled choo-choo in the beginning. I say, you know, oh, I might say choo-choo, like it's a choo-choo train, but then uh-huh. I always do woo-woo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't really do choo-choo because it's hard. So even yeah. boys who love it, but they'll do woo-woo. Or ooh, word. Ooh. I knew yeah. what they said. <laughs> I know, but see, that's another that's another great example of you're going with what they can give you and what they're going to be more likely to be able to imitate and be able to say. So you're exactly right about that. And I do have some families that say train, and then I'll, every once in a while I'll have a kid who pops out train rather than choo-choo. And I always think, well, that's because mom and dad haven't said choo-choo or a variation mm-hmm. of that, that it's, yeah, sometimes we'll we'll see that. Other ones, bike. And, again, this, this, is, this list is long. They're probably... Uh, Wait, which was this one? Bike. What did they say? What was that one? Bike. bike. Yeah, bike's big. Yeah. I like yeah. the sign for bike, too. I do, too. <laughs> it's yeah. pet, like you're pedaling like with your hands. Yeah. <laughs> That's a cute one. Uh, rain made the list, and I guess if you live somewhere that's rainy, that would be um, probably more uh, applicable. But rain, I think toddlers are interested in rain, and they want to look out the window and talk about it and certainly feel it when they're outside. But I remember a long time ago looking at this list and thinking, wow, I don't know that I ever would have put that as an early developing now. Do you work on that word, rain? Um, you know, the time I do it the most, honestly, is when I do my little weird balloon routine oh, where yeah. I drop the balloons on a kid's head and yeah. I say, rain, um, when I drop them. So that's, that's right. when I do it. Not necessarily about, like, look at the rain outside. I might if right. I come in and I'm soaking wet. Right, right. In <laughs> I'll context. probably be talking about the rain. <laughs> but... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it. I think it has to be in context to do that. Um, bubble is one that was on that list, and boy, I play with bubbles with lots and lots of kids, and it's easy to say. Bubba is mostly the approximation that we get, so that certainly would make my top list of nouns. And most kids like bubbles. That would make my top ten, older. maybe even my top five. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's easy to say, it's interesting to kids, it's pretty easy to get a kid to engage with you when you're playing bubbles. And I talk to parents about, you know, bubbles are a pretty functional word, especially if you're doing that in the bathtub too, and if you're making bubbles with your soap, if that's part of your nighttime uh, or daytime, I don't know when families might work a bath into their daily routine, but bubble certainly is an early developing word. 
Um, these next ones are transportation words, car, truck, boat, and plane. And, again, I think those are highly relevant for toys that toddlers like to play with, especially our little guys who uh, like those things that go. And those are pretty fun. Baby was on that previous list. And then words that other words that go with your daily routines are listed here. Bowl, spoon, diaper, sock, shoe, shirt, pants. I think pants, I think that's a harder word, shirt and pants, don't you? I don't really do them too much. Not too much. I do uh-uh. them a little later. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hang on, let me pass our other office phone to Johnny. Okay, hat, and that was on the earlier list. Love Star. hat. That's in my top yeah. ten. <laughs> hat, yeah, you talk about hat all the time. Nearly every time we were talking about uh <laughs> Early talkers, that hat and hot make the list every single time, although hot's a descriptive word. But, and I think about those words together. Don't you teach those together, not necessarily in the same activity, but if a child has hot, I try to get hat, and if he has hat, I try to get hot, don't you? And help. Yeah, you know, I find that so many apraxic kids can get an H sound, and it's one of the few sounds they can get. So yeah. it's a lot easier than the bilabial sounds for them, yeah. Yeah. For some weird reason, but it is. So, yeah, and they like well, them. And they're always big, kind of dramatic words, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and again, we're not talking about that. I keep going back to that word, and that's off topic with our if we're talking about nouns. But hat is a good one. It's pretty easy to teach. The sign for hat is easy as well. And, again, we're talking about expressive vocabulary development, and we're talking about uh, mostly talking about verbal words, but you could use these same words with signs as well. So I'm... I'm hoping that as a therapist you're thinking about that and as a parent, too. And hat's an easy sign. You just pat the top of your head. So it's a good one. The next Kids really like it, yeah. Yeah, kids like hat. And you can do a ton with that. You can, and we're going to talk about this in a second when we get to verbs, but when you're teaching hat, you can teach it with, you're going to teach it across all different contexts. And so you might, if a kid says the word hat, and or I'm thinking I'm going to get that word, I'll think, okay, what toys do I have or what toys can I see in his home that are uh, that we could use a hat with? And so I'm thinking we're going to do potato heads. Let's play with the baby. Uh, I know your cookie monster, the cookie monster that we both have, Kate, you have a hat with your cookie monster, and I'm thinking it's because that's an kind of a cute routine to do, and that's an easy word to get. And if I were looking around his home and I saw that the child had a baseball hat or a cap. or I, I like hats with any kind of, anything I can use a hat with, I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the point is you want more than one context to teach it in. So you, if you're thinking, mm-hmm. okay, that's a word that I think we're going to get today, you need to plan how am I going to make sure that this word comes into all these different things that we're going to play today. If I'm playing with balloons and I'm drawing, I I frequently draw eyes, nose, and mouth on a balloon, but if I think a kid can say hat, first I'll draw some hair and try to get huh for hair and then draw a hat on top of that balloon. That's a way that I get that word a lot. And so you'll, um, again, purposefully plan across several different play activities to try to elicit that same little core set of words that you're working on. And that sounds so easy when I'm saying it here. 
and talking about it here, but it's kind of hard when you're standing looking at your trunk of toys, excuse me, or your toy bag, and you're thinking, what am I going to do? What, what, how could I get that with several different toys? So that a lot of times takes some planning and some forethought so that you can really hone in what your core list of vocabulary targets will be for a session. And I know some therapists that are experienced just kind of do it and it happens and you just naturally would target some of those same words. But for newer therapists or for therapists that you're really thinking, boy, it's time to up my game here. I've got to get serious about this. You know, I can be a much more efficient and much better therapist. I'm taking myself to that next level. That's something that you can really, really think about is how to get the same word across multiple contexts. And again, for children who are apraxic, like Kate's already referred to, children with motor planning problems, even children with that are dysarthric, and dysarthria is a term for children who have lower muscle tone or higher muscle tone, so there are lots of different types of dysarthria related to a child's muscle tone. And again, muscle tone issues are seen in children with Down syndrome, in children with cerebral palsy. In children, a lot of times they're just giving a really generic diagnosis. Now, hypotonia, meaning low tone, or hypertonia, meaning higher muscle tone, or increased muscle tone. So again, don't let all those terms fool you. My point is those kids, you have an official medical diagnosis related to muscle tone. It's going to take that child longer and it will be more difficult for him or her to learn how to talk because of the extra challenge of getting his or her little muscles to coordinate and work in the right way. So when you know that, You've got to give a child lots of opportunities to practice the same word over and over and over. Now, again, we're just talking about this from an expressive perspective, meaning what a kid can say. There's a whole other issue if the child doesn't understand the word, and that means that you're going to have to give even more opportunities so that the child can first learn to understand it because he has to understand it before he ever has a prayer of being able to say it. So again, making sure that you're planning your therapy activities and what you're talking about around how many different ways can I present this same word is really valuable for lots and lots of kids. Now again, some of us aren't that organized and don't think about that and somehow turned out to be pretty good therapists despite our natural dispositions to be a little flighty and not plan. But that would be me. Get, <laughs> I'm talking about my own personal previous experience here. But then when you start to really hone your craft and really think about what you're doing and the results you're getting and am I as good as I want to be with kids, that's certainly something that can help kind of bump you up and take you to the next level. And I'm not saying that you have to only think about, you know, a child's phonemic inventory. You know, we only introduce words with sounds that he or she can say. Because if you do that, then you never get new sounds. But right. when you were 
building early vocabularies is something to think about, especially if you have a kid that's not saying very much and you're just trying to do everything you can to get something going and to get some some progress. And so you, if you know that he can say a word like half or hat, then you do think, you do put some thought into, okay, I'm going to get hat across a lot of different play activities and daily activities, and you say to mom, hey, does he have, how many different hats do you have? Can you play a game with hats? Can you try to get him to wear a hat when you guys go outside? Does dad have any hats? You know, and you try to help mom think of all the different times during the day that they can practice and say the word hat. And then beyond that, you think, okay, he's got an H. What else can I get? What's another word that sounds close to that? And Kate, you said help which is a verb that we're going to get to, I hope, on the show today. But that's a verb. And then hot would be a descriptive word. And um, hair is a noun that I would try to get if he had hat. And guess what? You can work on hat and hair. Anytime you're saying hair or hat, you can probably talk about his hair. Again, that kind of goes together. So you don't want that to be the only driving force when you're planning your vocabulary targets or what words that you work on. And, again, don't panic if you've never thought about this before. You can still be a darn good therapist without really thinking about it. But if you want to bump it up, this is another kind of way to do it. It's that next level. You know, think about what would be a related, what would be related words that I could work into this activity with sounds that this kid can already have a decent shot at being able to say. H is another good one, and the reason that you know that it works so well with the practice kids is, Kate, if you've got a kid that's got at least a couple of different vowels, you can probably Uh get an H pretty easily. And so I think that's why it is a good target. Now, it is very interesting to me that a lot of, I have seen a lot of practice kids who don't have an H, but when we start to work on it, we're usually almost always needing to work on words that start with vowels, and I think it's because they don't do a word with an open mouth posture. And again, this is a little bit difficult for the podcast because we try to usually keep it where moms and dads can listen and then understand too. But H is a, a sound that starts with your mouth open, and a lot of our kids that are practicing may have their go-to consonant every word. Everything might be, you know, their words might be duh and duh-duh and bubba and that'd be it. <laughs> and they don't start a word. Uh, I have a lot of words that start with vowels. And those yeah. kids usually, usually it's don't da or ba. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Those are my examples, yeah. <laughs> because that's from real life, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's is everything, or maybe double. Da-da, ba-ba, yeah. da-da. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so, again, a little bit technical for the podcast and a little bit beyond the scope of this show because we're really talking about early vocabulary. But if you have a kid that's really hard and that you're thinking, how am I going to increase this kid's vocabulary? What in the world am I going to work on? Ages are good to go to, and I always pair that with working with words that start with vowels. And so other words on this list, of these nouns that start with vowels would be like eye for the your eyeball that's on your face. Um, apple is and on a lot of kids. Maybe. That's an, another great one for those kids who can't imitate anything. It is something they can usually do with eye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They open their mouth, 
And even if their eye isn't a true, you know, even if they're just trying something that sounds like that, that's okay. It is all right if they're doing an, a variation of that vowel sound. Even if you're just getting ah uh, at the beginning, if you have a nonverbal kid who has never said anything on request or command, and he's pointing to his eye, when you're saying, look, there's your eye. I see your eye. Eye, eye, eye. And he blurts out, uh. You need to celebrate that <laughs> like he has said it perfectly <laughs> because he is trying. And if a kid isn't doing an open mouth, a lot of times I do just reach down, put my thumb on their chin, and see if I can pop that little mouth open while I am saying whatever our target word is, you know, ah, they're just to get their mouth open. And, again, if they're doing an ah or an ah or an eh, who cares right now? At the beginning, you're just getting that. At least they vocalized on command and they at least got a vowel. So, woo-hoo, that was good. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo celebrate. celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and for a lot of kids, it, they may be off target for a while. And, again, that just shows you how much struggle and what a challenge it is to talk. So um, we want to be sure that we're thinking about that too. Let's run through this other list of nouns. Wait, let me say this, Laura. Okay. Let me just say this one a little since we've kind of gotten a little nitpicky on these. When I'm doing an H, which I always do early on with those same types of kids, kids who cannot imitate on command at all, I mean virtually nothing other than maybe the one sound, ball, everything's a B. I always do, I always say, use your windy sound. And I put my hand in front of my face and I, <laughs> and then I invariably yeah. take their little hands and put it in front of my face and I tell them the windy sound. <laughs> and a lot of times I'll, t- then if they're with me and they're watching me and they seem interested, then I take their little hands and I put it in front of their own face and I say, let me hear the windy sound. <laughs> And you're, 95% of the time, they'll try it. Yeah. If that doesn't work, I'll get it, that H sound with the pant. So we're playing doggy, yeah. and we're going, <laughs> and then you transition that into your dog, if you're hot, and then your dog wants to wear a hat. You know, and again, you're thinking, and let me just say, it doesn't have to always make perfect sense either. <laughs> if you can just... <laughs> go with it and somehow especially if you have a kid that's pretty playful and you can do your whole hot and you know and you've got something that you can use for a hat while you're playing with the dog and I play with that when I'm doing this a lot with kids with that dog that we've talked about before that I got at Walgreens and you've gotten at Walgreens mm-hmm. too it's just a little mm-hmm. mechanical dog and it has a supposed to be a remote control but you know it's the old kind so there's a, a cord that's attached to a little controller that's like operated. a bone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's battery, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Well, there you go. That's how my vocabulary is. But it, you, you push the button and it walks, or you push the button and it barks and wags its tail. But that little dog you can do a ton of stuff with, and I do have a hat that I put on that little dog, and I always think about the reason I'm doing it is I can get that sound first with that pant and then move it to the doggy's hot. We've got to drink some water, and W is another sound that's kind of like that H. You don't really 
In typical development, you don't really have to work on an H and a W. Okay, just, now, true confessions. Uh, How, do you say water or do you say wawa? I say wawa. Usually I'm saying both. I'm saying he needs some water. Give him some water. Let's get a drink of water. You say it, wawa. That's almost I do always the same thing. I cue it. And they're hearing uh-huh. the adult model. And if they can say the adult model, they will when they get there. Right. But if they're doing Wawa at the beginning, yay. That's great. It, and it wa- beats by. Yeah. <laughs> it's closer. And so, and water is another word that makes this list, these earlier mm-hmm. nouns. So, mm-hmm. all right. And I'm glad you brought that up. That is a way to kind of get that sound. And, again, we're kind of... Off off our topic, but not really, because so many of these late talkers that we're talking about that don't have those, that words aren't coming easily for them, there likely is another component to their language delay. There's another, there's the speech part of that. There's a speech disorder or speech delay in there. Delay meaning that they haven't acquired enough consonants yet to be able to really put those together with vowels to make a big variety of words. Or there's a disorder meaning that the sounds are coming in but not in the order that they're expected or they're not coming in without lots and lots of, uh, without lots and lots of work. And so, again, with so many of our late talkers, it's not just a language delay. There's a speech part of that. But, again, if you're a parent and you're listening to this and you're trying to sort all that out, don't get so picky and so worried about getting the, you know, right on, spot on diagnosis that you don't spend most of your time on intervention and on working to get the words and working to get language going, um, you know, don't sacrifice that communicative intent for speech accuracy. And, again, if you're a parent, the big thing is just trying to get anything so that your child understands and is saying some approximation of these words. Okay. Other words that are on this list, belly or tummy, and I say whatever the family says, whatever the family calls their stomach uh, for that word. But that's a word I work on pretty early, don't you? Because I work on that as one of my go-to body parts at the beginning. Yeah, but I always say belly. I don't know. It just must be what I called it when my kids were little, belly. And tummy, I don't know. I would know what they meant, but I don't ever model tummy. I think I do. I really usually will ask a mom, what did you say? And I think with my own children, I said tummy, but I think belly is what more people say here in Kentucky. So I, I usually go with what a family, what a family says, and I nearly mm-hmm. always ask mom, what's your word for that, belly or tummy? And some moms will say, I don't know. We haven't really talked about that yet. And then you've got a whole other opportunity to say, okay, let's talk about how are we teaching these body parts here. Um, and I go, we've talked about this in the past too, but tummy, toes, and hair are usually what I teach first. And, um, again, those all three of those words appear <laughs> in this first list of nouns. A lot of families will teach, try to teach face body parts first. But if you, um, if a child is not really understanding those things, then he's going to be, and his motor planning is off, he, he is just going to have a hard time getting his finger on the right 
uh, eye, nose, and mouth because we're teaching them because they're all so close together. So I spread that out and teach body parts that are far away from each other first, especially if a child has had a receptive language delay, meaning that they don't always understand and we're having to really teach comprehension too. And so um, that's another consideration. Well, and they're so more billiard- visible. I have to say I don't yeah. do hair too much. I do belly and toes right away because I pop bubbles on them. So that's- well, and I'm surprised you don't do hair very much because when I've watched you work this summer, since we've gotten to see each other more often and uh, with uh, doing our joint evaluations here, our comprehensive developmental evaluation here in my new office, you play with your hair a lot, though. You'll hide behind your what? face a lot with your hair, and you flip your hair over like if a kid is on the slide and you're you know, going to do peekaboo with your hair. So I'm surprised that you don't say that word more and teach that word more because you're using your hair a lot. Have you thought about that? No, I guess I haven't. I don't know you why. You use your hair I a do, lot. You're right. I, always... I do. Yeah, I mean, I do you do. I do use my hair for uh, engaging kids when it works, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you might want to add that word, Kate, because you are using that hair a lot. I'm not going to say I don't ever do it, but I don't target it. You know what I mean? I will. I guess I should. Hmm. Well, now you'll add that to your hat hot routine. To my H H routines, yeah. Yeah. And I have a new um, Mr. Potato Head Play-Doh thing, so he would be cute to do with hats, too. Yeah, and you could even probably... And he has hair. hair. He grows hair, so... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that would be another way to work on that. So there you go. All right, other ones, uh, flower, house, tree, brush, towel, bath, chair, bed, blanket, light, and then a whole bunch of snack words. Cookie, cracker, chip, goodness knows I teach those till the cows come home. And, again, a lot of therapists don't really do a lot with snack foods, but I think you're missing a Wait, huge what were the foods? cookie, cracker, chip, candy, oh, yeah, cereal. Yeah. And I hardly ever say cereal. If I don't playing, ever if do cereal. Cheerios, I call them O's. What do you call Cheerios? I do O's, definitely. Yeah. And the sign for mm-hmm, But I prefer I cookies to candy. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you best. have a if you have a kid that's a vowel kid who hardly has any consonants but who talks in vowel Cheerios, that's a great target word. Oh, 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 even the perfect long O there. That's an, that I've done that with a few kids that were just vowel kids because I'm just trying to get something on purpose that sounds like a word. And so Cheerios mm-hmm. is a good context for that. The liquids are next, milk, juice, and water, and I think those are pretty universal. And then there's a whole list of animal words, dog, cat, fish, bird, duck, cow, horse. And then there are some others that are pig. less. I'd have to put pig on there. Pig's on there. The other ones are oh, bunny. Uh, yeah, bunny, bear. Pig, lion, bee. I teach bee earlier for kids who are having a hard time talking because bee is easy to say. And if, if they've got a buh already and they're using an initial B in other utterances, I try to get bee and do a, you know, the bzzz and I sing, bring on my baby, bumble, bee. So that's a word that if I'm thinking it's a, a real speechy kind of kid that I've got to really – think about what my target words are, that's when I'll teach B. 
And then the other one's monkey. Hard word to say, but boy, don't toddlers love that word and that animal. Monkey? monkey. Yeah. Don't you do monkey? Yeah. Always. Yeah. yeah, monkey's pretty hard, but they usually can get the sound. They can do it. They like the what the sound so is. Don't you do a ma or a key? Or e or yeah. e, 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 e. Yeah. And uh-huh. again, that's what you're going to get if a kid can't do an E. A monkey is where I can most likely try to get that sound if we're not hearing that vowel. And um, turtle is on that list, too, and frog. I think frog is an incredibly difficult word to say, but I have a lot of frogs that I play with, so I try that one, even if I don't always hear that word right away. Okay, so that's the big list of nouns. And, again, nouns are the backbone of our vocabulary. Um, as therapists, we teach nouns, and as parents, we teach nouns all the time. So that's why I say to a lot of my families, okay, you're going to get the nouns anyway because you can't help but teach nouns. I want to move you to talking about and help you learn how to teach verbs because that's what so many of our kids are missing, and again, it is part of normal language development to be heavy on the nouns, but I think as therapists, we need to push those verbs too, especially when we get kids that are good labelers, and this happens a lot with our kids who are on the autism spectrum. They might have a lot of nouns, but not use any of those words um, to communicate. They might only label in their books, but if you say, tell me what you want, or a parent might say, you have to say it before you can get it. They cannot come up with that word at all unless it's in the context of however they learn that word. So especially when you have kids like that, you almost have to teach verbs as requests and situations to teach those nouns that they already know as requests before you can do anything else because they don't get that whole pragmatic function of requesting and they don't get that we use words in the context beyond saying what it is or labeling it. And so with those kids, I really do try to teach verbs pretty quickly because when they get the verb, they can, one, put it with a noun and and it be a phrase, but more often than that, then they're describing, then we're requesting, we're doing things besides labeling. And so I know we're going to have to go into a little bit more detail to talk about this because we're just touching on it right here at the end. Uh, But if you have a kid like that on your caseload and you know that, gosh, she's right, he only says, he can only label, he can't really request with all these words that he has. Or sometimes a mom will write me at, they'll they'll send me an email and they'll say, gosh, she knows 300 words. He can say 300 nouns, but she's not using any phrases. She's not ever able to say what she wants. She goes to the kitchen and cries, or she leads her mom to the kitchen. I mean, that's a kid that you know, boy, I have got to work on, one, how she uses the nouns that she has, and two, I've got to get her some different parts of speech so she understands that words are more than just to label. And not that you can't label with a verb, because we're going to talk about that next week, how Sometimes we're using a verb, but really it's to describe an event, and that's okay. But at the same time, that's something I want therapists to think about, is how their kids are really using the words that they have, you know, whether they be nouns or verbs or whatever. We've got to get kids to the point that they're really communicating, that they're not just labeling. It's not a what's that, what's that, what's that, 
they're using those words to ask for what they want and eventually to answer questions. Um, and I know I've put a lot of information in there just in the last 30 seconds, but that's kind of where we're going with this whole series. But it starts with labeling and with that one-to-one -one ratio, that ball means that red round thing that mommy bounces on the floor and throws across the room. Duck is that yellow toy that's in the bathtub with me. And every time we see it, mommy says, quack, 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 duck. And so it starts with that labeling and that, you know, understanding that conceptual thing. And then it moves to being able to say the word. But we've got to get kids where they're doing more than labeling, too. And we want to be sure that we're talking about that as we go. That's why in therapy sessions, we most always, we all, always try to set things up as requesting. But the kid having to say it before he can get it, that's so that we're teaching that we use words not just to label but to get what we want. We've got to do something to get something. So, again, I have included, oh, I could probably talk about the stuff that I've mentioned in the last minute for, oh, hmm, five or six hours in a row. So... <laughs> It's a lot of information, but it's so important to think about as we're uh, designing therapy plans for our, for our kids who are late talkers. So, on that and so note, often, like, you, go like ahead. you said, Laura, so often when you get those letters on your website, they're saying my child can label, 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 but doesn't use, use, use the words functionally. That's what we're talking. I mean, that's why. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. And and you want to think about those kids, and you want to, if you're a therapist and you have a kid like that, and he or she doesn't have a diagnosis, you really need to start looking at other characteristics of children that are on the autism spectrum because that happens a lot, especially with children who eventually go on to be diagnosed with high-functioning autism. They have a ton of words. They can talk. They may even be echolalic in that we'll hear some delayed echolalia. They're quoting a, a television show or they're singing an entire song, but there's not much evidence that they understand what they're saying. And their only way that they may use words are to label, and that's a huge red marker or a huge red flag, a huge marker, and, boy, people miss it all the time that that's a big diagnostic indicator that you need to um, look to see if the child may be on the spectrum. And, again, I think that makes a lot of people uncomfortable for me just to put it out there like that, but it's the truth. <laughs> so we want to be sure that we're talking about it and pointing you in the right direction um, and giving you something you think about. Um, because usually that means, you know, there's a pragmatic, and pragmatic means language use. There's, a, They're not learning how to use language. They're talking. They're learning to what words, you know, to use the, the label for the word, but there's not much language use beyond that label. And so, again, ding, 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 we have a winner. That's a big red flag. <laughs> you want to look at that problem because more often than not, that's what's going on. So good point there, Kate. Yeah. So All right. the next week we're going to verbs. We're going to <laughs> verbs. I wanted to get there today. Sorry, that list was long, that list of nouns. But take a look at that again. You can find it on uh, teachmechart.com's Facebook page or on the website. And that article is called, What Can I Do to Help My Toddler Learn More Words? So there you go. All right. I uh, hope okay. you'll join us next week, and we're talking about verbs. Moving on. Okay, thanks. Thanks.
Bye. Bye.